This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today I'm going to introduce to many of you a new concept that will, again, be new for some people, but it won't be so new for many veteran observers of the crisis in the church. That concept is of there having been two factions in the church during the council, and the two factions that split formally after the council and would work against one another within the church to impose their own vision on the church. One vision was that of, we'll call it, relative orthodoxy. I've long been suspicious of the hermeneutic of continuity, since the hermeneutic of continuity presupposition is that the documents of the council could be interpreted in light of tradition. I'm suspicious of that because, as Benedict himself admitted in an address that I'm going to quote here in a few minutes, the Council of the Fathers, as he called it, was taken over by what he called the Council of the Media. The Media Council is a nice way of saying that it was the Council of the Modernists. Benedict never actually called them modernists, but that's what they were. Some say he was himself one of them. I'll leave that judgment up to you, the viewer. Let me know if it's something you agree with in the comments or not, but... In the years after the council, one faction tried to rule the church in a way that they believed was in continuity with what came before. That faction was represented by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. The other faction didn't really care much about continuity and wanted to sing a new church into being. That's the media council, as Benedict called it. Those are the modernists. And he called it that because of the influence of the secular media at the council, which put external pressure on the council to adopt radical changes. I rarely touch Vatican II anymore, honestly, because I'm not one who thinks that the church was fine before Vatican II and then suddenly wasn't anymore after. The rot ran deep before Vatican II. That's why Pius X wrote Pascendi. It's why Leo XIII took these guys to task. The bishops who took the council over and threw out the orthodox documents at the council and replaced them with dressed-up universalist dare-we-hope-all-men-are-saved nonsense didn't come out of nowhere. They were the product of the infiltration in the church long before the council. But this concept is important to understand because in the aftermath of the Synod of Sin, various figures of the Synod and previous Synods are now invoking Vatican II and its true intentions. Benedict himself refutes these people making that claim, and I'll use him to do so. Let's take a look at the latest vision of, version of this claim itself, though. So, headline from America Magazine. Peru's Cardinal Barreto on what the Amazon Synod in Latin America can teach the entire church. See, the Synod of Sin wasn't the first of the problematic synods. In 2013, we watched idols of demons get worshipped at the Pan-Amazon Synod on the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, no less, all done in the name of ecumenical dialogue, care for our common home, inclusion, and later in the name of synodality. This bishop is quite important rather pleased with himself and with the latest version of the synodal process. And he wants us to be reminded of what the synod can teach the church. So, from that article, quote, Cardinal Pedro Barreto, 79, the Archbishop of Juancayo in central Andes Mountains of Peru, rejoiced when the synthesis document of the first session of the Synod of Synodality recognized the Ecclesial Conference of the Amazon as, quote, an example of synodality. That is of, quote, a model of being church that integrates communion, permission, and participation. In an exclusive interview with America's Vatican correspondent on October 30th, Cardinal Barreto revealed that he had given a brief intervention at the Synod on the Synodal Process that has developed in the Church of the Amazon region over the past 10 years. The Jesuit Cardinal is president of CAMA, a 
new ecclesiastical body created to promote synodality and shape a church with an Amazonian face. I can never say that phrase without laughing. While seeking new paths for evangelization and for an integral ecology. The synod described Kama as, quote, a fruit of the synodal missionary process in the Amazon region. Unlike an Episcopal conference that includes only the bishops of a certain ter territory, the Ecclesial Conference of the Amazon includes bishops, priests, women, and men religious, and the lay faithful from all nine countries of the region. Its statute was approved by Pope Francis in October 2022. It is the first of its kind in the history of the Church and the first concrete fruit of the Amazonian Synod, Cardinal Barreto told me, the, interview, the writer of this article, in an interview shortly before the statute's approval was announced. He predicted that in the coming years, bishops' conferences will have to transform themselves into ecclesial conferences, end quote. The key thing to remember about the synod is not the fear of deaconettes or priestesses or even the James Martin blessings. Yes, the synod debated those things, and Francis gave us the James Martin blessings, but what the final document explicitly called for was decentralization of the Catholic Church. This is the placing of power into the hands of the laity, real power, like deciding through common the common sense of the faith among the laity what doctrines of the church are to be. Yes, the common sense of the faithful who are the worst catechized generations in the history of the church. They admit that, they, but they are the ones who are going to decide what the doctrines of the church are going to be. That is how you get to deaconettes and James Martin blessings and all the rest of it. Not through necessarily explicit statements by a synod or pope, but through the uncatechized masses pushing for change in the church and then using their influence to make it happen. All of this being meant to be unchangeable in the future. And maybe even they can get a pope elected who will follow their demands. This bishop has been part of decentralizing the church in South America during a time when many Catholics there are just either openly apostatizing by leaving the faith entirely or by joining heretical and schismatic Protestant groups in such large numbers that you can scarcely call South America Catholic anymore. In the article, the bishop and cardinal is asked about the most significant aspect of the synod of sin and what synodality actually means. Here's the answer, quote, the most important thing is that the synod is a sign confirming that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church, representing the more than 350 members that have participated in it. Second, we have experienced that we are the people of God. The very formal all being seat, the very format all being seated at 35 round tables indicates that authority in the church is service and that in the center is Jesus Christ who sends us on mission at this moment in history. Third, it seems that we have to give back the richness of the synthesis document to the particular churches of the world to which we belong, to enrich it with a spiritual conversation, so as to have a second session with this new richness of the synodal process. That, meaning further studying synodality, is one of the proposals, because without a doubt, synodality is not an invention of Pope Francis. Even the Second Vatican Council does not use the word. Nevertheless, it speaks of the synod, but synodality, which is a recent word, expresses the identity of the primitive church. Jesus did not leave structures. He left people with his spirit, who will remember what he announced and the way he announced it. First, to realize that we are all responsible for the mission of the church. Therefore, there is no baptized man or woman who is not called to this mission. Here, we have to be realistic because there are many baptized people who lack formation. For example, if you ask a young man about the Second Vatican Council, 
he will look at you with a strange face. The same is true if you ask a young priest. Hence, Pope Francis has been very hard with the young priests who care more about clerical clothing than about closeness to the people of God. Why? Because they have forgotten or have not heard about or have not assimilated the teachings of Vatican II. End quote. This is a particular vision of Vatican II, by the way, even though I tend to think that the distinction is meaningless practically. But the bishop goes on to say you cannot understand Francis and his works without understanding Vatican II. So let's respond to this with Benedict XVI. In his final address to the bishops, given on February 14, 2013 in Rome, the Holy Father at that time spoke about Vatican II. He spoke extensively about the Council of the Fathers and the Council of the Media. If you're not aware of what happened, John XXIII convoked a council almost immediately upon taking office in 1958, though he didn't announce it for some time. The council began in 1962. He and a few good, faithful bishops of the church prepared several documents called preparatory schemas for the council to, to debate, with the expectation that Vatican II would, be, would last a total of six weeks, maybe ten weeks at the outside. And I'm not trying to absolve John XXIII here for, for his part in everything that came of it. Now, a few years ago, I put a few of those documents up on this channel. Those documents are far less ambiguous than anything that we would have gotten out of the council. Those documents and the works of the cardinals who helped John XXIII, like Cardinal Ottaviani and Archbishop Lefebvre and a few others, represent what Benedict calls here the Council of the Fathers. The other side was what he called the Council of the Media, representing worldly bishops who organized together before the council, prepared for the council, and on the opening of the council rejected the documents brought to them as too rigid and representing the old way of thinking. That's the media council, called that by the media because they represented the vision of the world and the values of the world. Whether you disagree with or agree with what Benedict says here and think he was a great pope or one of the most guilty of the problems we have in the church now, let me know in the comments, but here's what Benedict had to say about the claim made by that cardinal, quote, I would like to add yet a third point. There was the Council of the Fathers, the real council, but there was also the Council of the Media. It was almost a council apart, and the world perceived the council through the latter, through the media. Thus, the council that reached the people with immediate effect was that of the media, not of that of the fathers. And while the Council of the Fathers was conducted within the faith, it was a council of faith seeking intellectus, seeking to understand itself, and seeking to understand the signs of God at that time, seeking to respond to the challenge of God at that time, and to find in the word of God a word for today and tomorrow. While all the council, as I said, moved with the faith, as fides quaerens intellectum, the council of the journalists, naturally was not conducted within the faith, but within the categories of today's media namely apart from the faith, with a different hermeneutic. It was a political hermeneutic. For the media, the council was a political struggle, a power struggle within the different trends in the church. It was obvious that the media would take the side of those who seemed to them more closely allied with their world. There were those who sought the decentralization of the church, power for the bishops, and then, through the expression the people of God, power for the people, the laity. There was this threefold question, the power of the Pope, which was then transferred to the power of the bishops and the power of all popular sovereignty. Naturally for them, this was the part to be approved, to be promulgated, to be favored. 
so too within the liturgy. There was no interest in liturgy as an act of faith, but as something where comprehensible things are done, a matter of community activity, something profane. And we know that there was a tendency, not without a certain historical basis, to say sacrality is a pagan thing, perhaps also a thing of the Old Testament, end quote. I'll have more from Benedict's address there to the bishops here in a moment. It's worth noting here something, though, that it is widely reported that in his final moments before expiring, Pope John XXIII begged the bishops in attendance with him to stop the council. He begged them to stop the council. It's been widely reported. Now, why would he do that? Because the media council had completely taken over and were issuing all kinds of nonsensical documents, including highly controversial documents like Nostra Aetate, Gaudium et Spes, and a few others that represent the minds of the media council, taking the crown off of Christ the King and declaring, frankly, that the church was now to be in service of the world. Not the world as in creation and all peoples, but to the world in the scriptural sense. And that's not a good thing. Benedict hints at the consequences of that in the final paragraph of his address to the cardinals here, and unfortunately, he's wrong here about something, but it's worth noting anyway. Quote, We know that this council of the media was accessible to everyone. Therefore, this was the dominant one, the more effective one, and it created so many disasters, so many problems, so much suffering. Seminaries closed, convents closed, but now liturgy. The real council had difficulty establishing itself and taking shape. The virtual council was stronger than the real council, but the real force of the council was present and slowly but surely established itself more and more and became the true force, which is also the true reform, the true renewal of the church. It seems to me that 50 years after the council, we see this virtual council is broken, is lost, and there now appears the true council with all its spiritual force, end quote. And that's what he's wrong about. He was right about all the consequences of Vatican II, but he was wrong about this virtual council. Benedict invented the terminology of the hermeneutic of continuity in an attempt to bury the media council forever. But upon taking power, Francis, in all his merciful wisdom, put into practice the infamous Pact of the Catacombs, which was a promise signed by 500 bishops after the council to reorient the church towards a materialistic, worldly ideology. Reducing the church to a glorified NGO, Allowed with the allied with the values of a particular set of secular ideologies, and Benedict's address is full of the language representing that view. He condemned the political focus of what he called the media council, the decentralization efforts that we're seeing cl that clearly want to put power in the hands of the laity. Real governance power, mind you, again, real governance. This isn't just input. This is real governance. This is being openly argued for in Germany by the bishops and religious of the schismatic synodal way. And it was openly discussed in the final synodal document issued by the Synod at the end of its recent phase three weeks ago in Rome. They're not hiding their intentions. This has been something the modernists have been working for since before the council was even called. Benedict's final message to the bishops before stepping down from office was clearly a message to the cardinals asking them to elect someone to continue his work of burying the media council. Later, he would tell the world through Archbishop Gonswein in his book, Who Believes Is Not Alone, that Benedict expected a moderate like Seanborn to be elected. Seanborn was only seen as a moderate at that time and has since become a full-throated Bergolian, but in 2013, he was seen as a moderate cut from the similar cloth as Benedict. Whether Benedict misread the room in that 
in that at that time was isn't something that I know for sure, but it certainly does seem that way to me a decade later, hindsight being 2020 and all of that. What do you think about this? Is the Synod of Sin a con conti continuation of Vatican II? Is it a continuation of the Media Council? Is Benedict forgetting his own role in rejecting the good documents of Vatican II and helping the Media Council take over the church because he was there working as one of the experts? Let me know in the comments, please, and hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.